Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. My name is James Goodlett. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in downtown LaGrange, Georgia, here with my good friend, colleague, chaplain at LaGrange College, the Reverend Dr. Adam Roberts. Adam, how are we doing? What, what? <laughs> as the kids say. I will say, for a second there, I thought we were on a Disney podcast as Leighton, before she played our... Our customary Soundgarden vibe. She was about to riff us into Kiss the Girls from The Little Mermaid. I'm oh, sorry, you're right. Kiss the Girl. Senior. It's not, you're right. I'm not trying Prin- to kiss multiple girls. <laughs> Prince, Prince Eric isn't kissing multiple girls in The Little Mermaid. But it is just one singular Prince's female. name. Holy moly. Look, yeah. let me just say, for just... <laughs> I watched a lot of uh, Little Mermaid as yeah. a child. Oh, I know. Don't you go say as a dad, but as a child, as a child, and into my years as a father, I can't tell you the number of times that's played in the old minivan. That's true. I know that thing backwards and forwards. So yes, it is "Kiss the Girl" singular as an aerial. There's actually a live. What what is what is? It's not a live body version of it. Uh, <laughs> What is the it's phrase? It's in, incarnated. Yeah, yes. It's an incarnated what is the phrase? version. Non-animated version. Live action. Live action. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think I'm getting into the scripture with the live body <laughs> stuff a little That's early. Right. But yes, a live action rendition of Little Mermaid coming out. Anyways, we digress. If you'd like to hear other podcasts, if you have not already been riveted by the they change, this amazing they change material. They change channels. Thus far, exactly. But if you want to hear other podcasts, and if you want to hear me and Adam Riff or Laura Neely talk about scripture or our flagship podcast, the Lewis and Broad, Lewis and Broad, the Lewis and Broad podcast, which is in the middle of season five with the family theme, check us out on lewisandbroad.org or on our social media. Instagram, Facebook, all the places. But now, I feel like we need to have like some sort of musical intro for this portion of our oh, yeah. podcast. Ask Layton. It is. We got to bring her on mic. And I, I heard in pre-production that you have quite the question for our producer, director, extraordinaire. So, Layton, are you are you ready? She just gives him, guess, offers him a I knowing glance. She's ready. I, I have multiple ways I could go, but we have multiple future podcasts. So, hey. So, for the rest of your life, every time you hear music, you are either going to spontaneously break into dance or break into song. Which do you choose? Um. Song. That would also be my choice, I'm going to admit. Yep. Not know. mine. Yeah? Dance? I'm dancing. It's going to enliven church. I was thinking from a I'm worship dancing. perspective, right? But 
Uh, you good, would good to sing, but the dancing. Look, know. I like a good dance. Now you're gonna be. Uh, I know the Michael Jackson Thriller dance. Presbyterians, Presbyterians are known for their dancing in worship. That is absolutely <laughs> accurate. One hundred percent. You know, Garrison Keillor said the movement of the Holy Spirit in the Lutheran Church is the slight inhalation of the left nostril. Well, I do think that's a great segue <laughs> into our into our scripture for the day. I, I, Leighton is trying to figure out her mic system uh, right now, so I think she's done. The thing apart, she's done. She is doing some deconstructing, building an engine over there. I know. And I will say on her behalf, she's quite the civil engineer. If you ever need any of your Christmas gifts. <laughs> Built, assembled, Leighton will do it for a fee. I was going to say, think about what that is worth. You, that's a lot. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Let me, it, it is fantastic. She's quite good at it. She was just doing a little civil engineering here on the microphone. I believe she successfully fixed it. But we will move on to the scripture for the day. <laughs> Dovetailing on your Holy Spirit comment. Yes. Slight we got, inhalation we got, we got of the spirit. left nostril breath. Some, some wind and some spirit and some breath, yeah. And I only got a few words for y'all. Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. I thought about trying to help you, and then I was like, nah. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Now, we are in the middle of a Lenten theme at our church. Hope in the midst of is the theme, and this week, it is hope in the midst of exile, and for that, we are looking at Ezekiel. Adam? Yes, sir. What's going on? Just 30,000 foot view of Ezekiel, and I want you to do it in the original Hebrew. (laughs) Uh, Well, I got to pass on that one, but uh, I do know this one word, ruach, that we're going to talk about that, but... Uh, well, bad times. There you go. That's a nutshell. Bad times, which seems often to be associated with a prophet, except this time we are in the movement uh, where we're in the midst of the bad times, and this prophecy is about the future better times and restoration. Uh, and that is a good thing. We're talking Babylonian exile. So we're talking uh, about the people captured, forcibly removed from the land, held for generations of time uh, by their captors in a, a foreign land. So we're, we're Mesopotamia here pretty much. We're, uh, we're, we're not in the, the promised land. All has been lost, in other words. Yeah, we're looking at 500s-ish, somewhere in there, B.C.E., before Christ or before common era, whichever your pleasure. And yes, they have been forced out. Those Babylonians have come in. The Persians have not yet come to rescue them from their exile, but they are hopeful and anticipating a season when they can return home. In the meantime, I think we underestimate just how disorienting this was. I mean, it's easy in scriptures to say, oh, well. Yeah, it is calamity of calamities beyond what any uh, faithful um, Israelite uh, would have imagined possible. You know, 
um, to to lose the covenant. It would feel like that. I think that the covenant itself has possibly been broken, and yeah. it hasn't. But it would feel like it. I, I think. I mean, we can say, okay, imagine somebody coming in, some foreign occupant coming in and saying to you, okay, you have to leave everything you know behind and you got to go live in this place. Okay, that's disorienting. Absolutely. But when you also, your theology yeah. is also very much centered around a location. Hinged on the place. I yes. Mean, the place is the sign of the covenant. Yeah. And you're forced away from that. So so these people were not only driven away from their homes, but they were in a a season of a time of theological questioning, restlessness, hopelessness, really. Everything that they thought they knew, they do not. That's right. And we're talking about this. This isn't just a couple of years. This is a generation. Yes. This, this is a long, long time that they are gone. So fair, I think it's fair to say, however, whatever hopeless situation we can imagine, this is amplified. Yeah. yeah, truly. So Ezekiel preaches uh, to this context of exile. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I, I am curious though, Adam, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about what exile looks like to them. What do you think exile looks like to us in, in our contemporary world? Now, this is a fine question. <laughs> and it's gonna, I've, I've been thinking about this uh, since you mentioned it earlier, and it could be a lot of things. Over the years, I have seen it um, manifested in people and in my own life, but I'm thinking especially of parishioners that I've I've helped and tried to give care to over the years who have lost jobs. That comes to mind. Anything and and you wouldn't think that that's necessarily an identity loss, but for some people, for some for some men, for some women, that is really a kind of identity loss and a, a incredibly bewildering, disorienting sort of thing. Uh, so that one comes to mind for me. Uh, anything that threatens that really threatens our sense of identity. So it could be major tragedy that happens in life. It certainly could be a divorce that somebody goes through, uh, loss of loved ones. It could be COVID that we just went through. Um, it was very bewildering, you know, culturally. Still is, really, because things are not the same. And in a sense, we're, we haven't returned back to 2019. We're still exiled from it in some sense. So those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, I think of significant life events that shift the way we exist day in and day out. It could be illness. Um, I, I think your I think your example of termination or reassignment from I, I never knew I never knew how hard that would be until I was I was young. I was thirty, I guess, and watched some uh, in this case men close to me go through that and and I discovered, like, wow, that is a bewildering experience for them. It's, a, it's an identity loss. It can be, yeah, it can be death. Uh, it can be so many things where we are fundamentally displaced from where we were to where we are now. With no sense, I think this is a key part of it, with no sense of when it's going to end. That's right. I, I think that exile isn't just, okay, well, I've moved from one place to the other, but I'm going to go back. No, exile has this component, this characteristic of 
I have been forcefully moved from the way things were. Loss of agency, that's right. And I don't know what the future looks like. That's right. Loss of agency moved into technical phrase for pastors and therapists and anybody else, but liminal, so L-I-M-I-N-A-O. We're moving into this space where we don't know what is going to resolve or how or when. Typically, that's thought of as the toughest sort of time and space for somebody to move through uh, from a psychological, spiritual perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I did I did have this thought, which takes us in a whole not less, less serious direction. I don't know if we're ready for that, but, you know, being from uh, Tennessee and such, there's a story about Daniel Boone. Uh, somebody asked him if he was ever lost, and he said, never. I was bewildered for three weeks once. <laughs> anyway, there you go. I mean, <laughs> bewildered. I, I think there's something to be said for that. And who knows what that wilderness time, that bewilderness time was like. And I, I do think Lent, in some ways, captures a bit of this exile. Now, for us in the here and now, we know how the story ends. But it is meant to be this season where we are in the wilderness and we are meant to imagine what it may look like or what it may feel we may not even have to imagine we, we're to be in a space of I don't know I don't know when this is all is going to wrap up I don't know when I'm going to be able to leave this wilderness time I don't I don't know my future is completely up in the air which brings the power of Easter season makes it that much more profound when we know well there's life at the end there's hope at the end but when the worst of all has happened right right yeah. but here we are in in exile in wilderness and and I think this is a profound scripture so bearing that in mind Ezekiel is that that's that's his congregation those are his people the people he is to whom he is prophesying are people in that liminality that wilderness they didn't have a concept of Lent but could be a Lenten space and he receives this word an incredibly memorable word about the valley of the dry bones. He's brought out by the Spirit of the Lord, the Ruach, and set down in the middle of a valley. Valley, by the way, is a kind of a, it's one of those watchwords in the Bible. When there's valley, it's not just, you know, a low place between two mountains. It is also just an existential low place. Yes, Jesus um Spends a lot of time in valleys and right outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. And he finds lifelessness, literally. He finds death, bones. And the Lord leads Ezekiel all around them. And I love this first, this hypothetical question that, or maybe it's more of a rhetorical, not a hypothetical question. The Lord says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers, oh, Lord, God, you know. Which is just kind of a, I don't know, but yeah. you do. I mean, that's better than I would have done. I, I would have probably been like, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> they not, had looking, their, not looking good. They had their chance. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is such a spectacular dream-like vision. I mean, it's special effects off the hook here about to happen. You can imagine this being done now with CGI or I'm sure it has been multiple times somebody's done it but it uh what a what a scene 
And there's a lot of, uh, and I, w- I want to get to your your word. I know, I know you did a word breakdown of ruach. A little bit. But y- you see in this next section a lot of, of uh, breath and spirit and, and those sorts of things. So let's just a little bit of a dive into what's going on here after Ezekiel says, oh, Lord God, you know what happens. Well, yeah, so... Um Get right back on that exact place. Can these bones live? You know. And so then, yeah, then the spirit says, which the spirit in some sense really, like you're saying, is the the ruach, this R-U-A-H with the nice heavy on the end. It's a fun <laughs> word to say. In Hebrew, that's right. And it's one of the first. It was you need the, a Kleenex. <laughs> that's it. right. The first Hebrew word I encountered in seminary, actually, uh, because uh, at Emory there was a legendary professor there for uh, decades named Bill Mallard. He's passed on now, but anybody who went to Candler School of Theology, uh, even if they came there after he retired, they know of him. Uh, he would stand us up on the first day of class and have us breathe in and let out this word ruah. And he would say, this is the, this is the breath. This is the, the life-giving breath. This is the ruach that was present uh, in Genesis 1 and gives life uh, and, and that is then breathed into uh, humans to live. Um, That's fascinating because we did a similar exercise in seminary. Oh yeah, maybe in he our got Hebrew from, course. They may have had was, some. They may have had somebody in common. In well, their they're background. neighbors, Columbia and right, and, right, 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 and Candler. But what? But it was Genesis one and Ruach. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so so there's there's all sorts of illusions going on here for people who uh, have deep knowledge of the story uh, of the people and of the Old Testament. And that's a it's a powerful word. And though I don't get it all together there's some wordplay here in hebrew with the the ruach saying ruach about the ruach <laughs> prophesy the wind says prophesy about the wind to them you know and uh, uh powerful as as far as what happens next the breath that enters into ezekiel and then enters into all these uh corpses bones yeah and and i love how the spirit or the, the Lord says, then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Mm. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people. And I will bring you back in this case to the land of Israel. So uh, one piece I want to, lift up here is that resurrection or resuscitation isn't an individual piece here. It is a corporate one. It is a communal one. It doesn't happen in a vacuum, so to speak, or just with, you know, one isolated set of bones. This is a worldly global kind of resurrection that uh, receives the breath of life from a vastly inclusive ruach. And two images come to mind for me from my life experience. I uh, took students a few years ago uh, to the for the 75th anniversary of uh, the uh, liberation of the concentration camps in, in Germany um, at the end of World War II. We went to the uh, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., which is incredible if you've never gotten to experience that. 
it is something every human needs to experience, I think, just uh, to understand what happened and be aware of what can happen. Uh, and then how life can again somehow grow back and move on, even in the face of something like that. But I thought about this most tragic, touching, heart-rending thing that, that you see there really uh, is a massive uh, collection of shoes that were actually oh, yeah. uh, taken from, yeah, I can't remember which camp, but one of the camps, and all those belong to people, and they're still there. Uh, and it overwhelms you and gives you a sense of the numbers and the loss and the death uh, so that's, that's one piece. A- another more hopeful thing that came to mind for me about the graves is that when you're in Jerusalem and you are at the Temple Mount, I had no idea until seeing this firsthand, you're, you're kind you're in a cemetery really and truly because there are huge swaths of, uh, land wherever somebody could be buried, uh, around the Temple Mount itself, where faithful Jews have been buried over centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries uh, because it's the best place to be buried. That's where the resurrection will start, the resurrection of all the people. And so those folks are buried there at the Temple Mount facing east, waiting on this Ezekiel moment to, to come. And so it's a literal, real thing for all the people. So what does hope in the midst of exile look like then? Yeah. I, I think that's a, a question. Uh, for Ezekiel... Seems to me that it looks like putting flesh on hopelessness and turning that into something life giving and hopeful. Yeah, it's not giving up it's, somehow. Yes. Hanging yes. on to the idea that God can do it and God will do it. And there are times we will look absolutely foolish as we continue to believe that in, in the midst of struggle. Uh, or when it looks like all is lost, or uh, that's the only thing, everything can be is lost. But that reminds me of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart. Um, and I think that's part of the faith, the childlike faithfulness that Jesus also calls us to, um, is keep keep hoping, keep believing. Well, I think that, I love that you said what you said about it, it may not make sense. I mean, I, I think... In the context of exile, this vision is absurd. Yeah. And sometimes that's what hope feels like, especially in the midst of exile. But it is understanding and hoping that God is with us in the valley and will bring us out of that. And that the bones of despair will rise up. And... Preaching and proclaiming that, holding fast to it, uh, and it could look different. It could look different for a person who's just received a cancer diagnosis. It could look different for somebody who's just lost their job. It could look different for a whole group of people, like in in the case yeah. of the in the case of the the Holocaust. I can't even begin to imagine that what that exile was like. What, yeah, you know, and, and we met then another trip, uh, a spring break trip actually with students down in Miami. Uh, we'd gone down to the Keys and worked at some churches that had been damaged and some homes down there in a hurricane. We come back through Miami. There's another incredible Holocaust memorial there. We stopped there, and that day there was a Holocaust survivor speaking. And so these college students got to sit 
and hear from uh, a man in his 90s who uh, was a young person uh, when all this happened. Um, and at the end, one of our students said, well, what, what would you say to us? What do we need to hear from you based on your experience here, here in the United States, 2020 or whatever year it was, 2019, 18? He said, he said, I want you to live your life. I want you to live. I mean, that was the first thing that came out of his mouth. I want you to live. I want you to live your life and enjoy your life uh, and, and work for good. Yeah, it was just powerful to hear. Keep breathing and being open yeah. to the Ruach. That's right. God is a God of life, and life all it's always life in the end. Always life. Well, I think that's a, a good introduction or summation or whatever you want to call it of, of this scripture, Ezekiel 37. would love to hear back from what y'all think about your experiences of it. Where has hope happened for you in the midst of exile? would love to hear your stories. So engages on social media at Lewis and Broad on Facebook, on Instagram, on all the places. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk Palm Sunday, but not just Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday is coming up. So look forward to that, Adam. My name is James Goodlett. Adam Roberts. And for Leighton Parker, remember who and whose you are, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Follow along on our social media and our websites at fpclagrange.org and lewisandbrod.org. Until next week.